to Weird Era, a literary podcast where we ask the right questions. Today we are talking to novelist Deborah Willis about her novel Girlfriend on Mars. Deborah Willis's last short story collection, The Dark and Other Love Stories, was longlisted for the Scotiabank Giller Prize. Her first book, Vanishing and Other Stories, was named one of the Globe and Mail's best books of 2009 and was shortlisted for the Governor General's Award for Fiction. Her work has also appeared in The Walrus, Virginia Quarterly Review, The Iowa Review, Lucky Peach, and Zoe Trope. She has worked as a bookseller at Monroe's Books in Victoria, B.C., as well as a technical writer and as a writer-in-residence at Joy Kogawa House in Vancouver, McEwen University, and the University of Calgary. Deborah currently works as an editor at Freehand Books and lives in Calgary with her partner and daughter. What's going on in Girlfriend on Mars? Well, Amber Kivenin is moving to Mars, or at least she will be if she wins a chance to join Mars now. She and 23 reality TV contestants from around the world, including a handsome Israeli, an endearing fellow Canadian, and an assortment of science nerds and wannabe influencers, are competing for two seats on the first human-led mission to Mars, sponsored by billionaire Jeff Task. Meanwhile, Kevin, Amber's boyfriend of 14 years, was content going nowhere until Amber left him, and their hydroponic weed business behind. As he tends to the plants growing in their absurdly overpriced Vancouver basement apartment, Kevin tunes in to find out why the love of his life is so determined to leave the planet with somebody else. Hi, Deborah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I know this is a work of fiction, of course, and that it doesn't necessarily reflect the real life of the author, you know, yada, yada. We've been doing this for a while. But I also believe that if you are writing about something, you are writing about it for a reason. Um, so in the first few pages of the book, Kevin says, writing is often followed by surreptitious texting, generalized anxiety, and finally by the relief for both of us of discovery of confession. What did you discover you were confessing in this book? Oh, wow. That's an amazing question. Um, yeah. I really do think, and I, I think I'm in a bit of a period of grief and mourning that the novel is like out in the world and it's sort of like a finished thing, un, an unchanging thing, because I felt so close to these characters. And then, you know, you realize like, oh, the, the characters are sort of representing aspects of myself. So I would say that I, can, I guess, you know, they're kind of, they're these opposite forces, these two characters, Kevin, um, doesn't leave his apartment. He becomes really tied to his couch that he is sort of sentimental about because he and Amber have owned this terrible Ikea couch forever. And um, like, I think I have, there's a part of me that is fearful of the world and, and does want to just nest and stay home all the time. I'm a big introvert. So that is a, an aspect of myself. But then also there's Amber with this kind of extreme ambition who's out there in the world and who's really putting herself out there. And I think part of my sort of, I, it didn't feel like confession so much as like exploration of my place in the world was this feeling of like, uh, okay, I have some big ambitions. I, I, you know, I don't just write for myself. I do want my work to be out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
how does that feel? It feels a bit uncomfortable, actually, because this is a book about environmental catastrophe. It's about climate change. And so when you have these ambitions to write a book, you also have ambitions to sell a product, which is not uh, amazing for the planet. So, you know, it was a kind of exploration of those contradictions within me as well, I would say. And, and, you know, I've been with my partner for 11 years, and I don't think like their relationship is nothing like ours, but it, I did want to kind of think about long-term love and the kind of the ups and downs and struggles and the, and the like hilarity too. There's kind of a lot of humor when you've been with someone for a long time and a lot of just really deep love. Yeah, this book is definitely about, you know, a lot of political, social aspects, but it's also very much a book about monogamy um, or or whatever that means. Um, you describe Amber and Kevin's relationship as committed to a kind of non-commitment. Can you sort of say more there? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I experienced this, you know, just you, you asked a personal question to start with. And I think my partner and I, we, we spent a few years in that kind of non-commitment zone, commitment without commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I think for, for both of us came from like fear. It came from a kind of, I guess, like, you know, like I think probably early patterning and feeling of like, can I trust this person to stick around? And, and you don't, you don't want to give your whole heart because you're afraid could, could my heart get broken? Mm-hmm. And, then the irony of that, and I think that book, partly I wanted to explore that, the irony is that actually, like, as a human being, if you are, like, living with someone and loving someone and, you know, intimate with that person physically, emotionally, intellectually, like, you are giving your whole heart, even mm-hmm. if you think you're holding back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think Kevin and Amber are in that kind of pattern where they're, you know, Amber is trying to you know, not give everything because she knows this is a stagnant relationship or she's trying to take back little pieces of her heart. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just such a hard thing to do. Attachment is so powerful. I really think it's what we humans are meant to do. So, uh, it's hard to break and it's hard to, it's hard to avoid too, even if you are avoidant. I'm more curious I mean, I absolutely agree with everything that you just said, but I, I'm really curious about um, being committed to a kind of non-commitment. I sort of, you know, I underlined that mm-hmm. sentence reading the book because I guess that's the point of what you do and why you did it. it. It was such a well-written sentence, but I thought about trying to explain it to friends in conversation, and I sort of was lack for lack of explanation. Like, I didn't know how to describe what that sentence evokes. Um, and so I'm sort of wondering if you can, um, offer that in a way. Mm -hmm. To me, I'd be curious to hear what you like felt it meant or what it made you feel. Mm -hmm. But I guess to me, it means like a kind of committed to a holding pattern and like, and Mm -hmm. and always finding this equilibrium, which is, you know, Amber says, every few years, Kevin asks, her to marry him and Mm -hmm. she makes a joke about it and then they move on. And it's like that, that step that he's taking where he's asking her to marry him is like, he's unbalancing that equilibrium for a moment. And then she can put it back in balance by making a joke and pretending it's all just not serious. And then they can go back to that holding pattern of non-commitment, commitment to non-commitment. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause actually I think, you know, I love that you threw it back at me. Um, I think the way that I sort of read it was being committed 
to, I mean, I sort of read it as a description of polyamory. Um, so it's this idea of, I am committed to this idea that you do not belong to me, but I am committed to you. Um, I think is maybe how I interpreted it, but that totally makes sense. Oh. If you read the novel, they're, they're totally in a holding pattern. Yeah. And that's interesting too, because I, yeah, the novel really is exploring like monogamy. I mean, I wanted to have at the end, I wanted there to be just a kind of diversity of love. So, mm. um, you know, we've got, we've got Kevin who, well, anyways, I shouldn't talk too much about the ending, but you know, we've got a monogamous, um, straight kind of couple at the end. And then we've got someone who's alone and then we've got, um, a secondary character, but he's in a polyamorous relationship that's working really well. And there's, you know, there's like, I wanted part of my feeling was that it's all connected when we're talking about, for me, the book came out of this like fear and anger and rage about the climate crisis, but it's all connected. So when we're talking about like ownership and dominion over the planet, we can, mm -hmm. we, we, we do that to people too, you mm -hmm. know, and, and Kevin has to move through jealousy and this, this really like ownership mentality when it comes to Amber. Um, and then, but I, I, you know, I also didn't want to romanticize it because there's also, you know, there's tons of jealousy is a human natural thing to feel and, and polyamory isn't just like the solution to mm -hmm. the problems of monogamy for everybody you know so mm -hmm. I, I kind of wanted there to be a complex exploration of of like various ways of loving people and and various ways of loving like throughout your life um the character of Jeff Task speaks to this you know sort of contemporary Elon Musk megalomaniac type um what do you think the future is for these one percenters? I know. Like, like, are we going to rise up? <laughs> we were, like, taking know. our are time. We? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually, yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I kind of, it's just, I mean, it was just so, it's just so shocking. You know, sometimes when you really think about it, when you think about someone who has even $1 billion, but now you've got people who've got trillions of dollars. Mm. And, um, you know, even thinking about when Jeff Bezos set up the Earth Fund, which was $10 billion, which is huge, which could really, really, like, push forward environmental uh, programs hugely. But it's also like, this man... Like that was, that's more, that's less money than he made just during the pandemic, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, I mean, I do think humans have a history and it's probably a really long history that goes back to like kind of so-called, you know, prehistory where, when people just take too much, they have mm -hmm. to be, they have to be brought back in line. We're brought back down. Like, you know, I, it's not sustainable. It's, it's really not, we're hitting, you know, the, the receipts are coming due now with this kind of extreme wealth and extreme consumption that's happening. Um, so yeah, like what goes up must come down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, but I, on, on the other hand, you know, we've got this, like when you've got this accumulation of huge resources, you also have accumulation of so much power mm -hmm. and um, we're in a situation now where there's a lot of, I was really, horrified and fascinated during the pandemic, the rise of QAnon and the rise of conspiracy theories. And it was like, mm -hmm. but there are actual conspiracies, you know, there are, you know, fossil fuel companies actually gaslighted us for decades mm -hmm. and decades and lied to us. Um, and 
you know, there are actual policies in place that allow people to become far, far, far too rich. And like that, but then we've got people focusing, I think, you know, the lack of truth mm-hmm. in the discourse is really. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to these extremely wealthy people. I do, I do believe that they're very unhappy as human beings. I don't think you can be happy and be that separated from uh, the rest of the world and community. I certainly hope so, as dark as that sounds. Um, <laughs> and interestingly, like on that note, I had sort of saved this question for later on, but you know, it's coming up now. A lot of Amber's motivation in this book comes from a cynicism about society uh, on Earth and its lack of progress climate crises, political and social conflicts, everything that you just pointed out. And I sort of wondered, like, do you feel like you're a dissolution too? Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I I mean, I wanted the book to kind of capture that feeling that I think maybe a lot of us have where it's like you just are sitting in this place of um, like total hopelessness and total hopefulness at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I like, yeah, I, I remember when I was pregnant, I found out I was pregnant the week that Joe Biden was elected and he had made some pretty amazing promises and mm-hmm. and he had been sort of pushed towards progressive policies that maybe he wouldn't have adopted a few years before. And it was kind of an exciting moment and I felt full of hope and I was like, you know, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. It's going to be okay. And of course now I, you know, that was a bit of a naive hope moment. And then there's, but I, it's so complicated. I also mm-hmm. really t- try to think too about like, I have so much respect for activists who are out there mm-hmm. fighting for this world. And I think to adopt a purely cynical attitude is actually disrespectful to them because people mm-hmm. are working so hard. And for someone like me, someone who's got a lot of privilege and comfort to sit around and saying, Oh, we're just fucked. That is, that's disrespectful. And, and, you know, it's also, it's also like shuts down possibilities for me personally, because I am also capable of helping and um, pushing the world in a, in a hopefully better direction. It's complicated. It's hard mm-hmm. when you're busy and um, you never know the results of anything. But yeah, I, I do think pure cynicism is, um, it's like not a choice that I feel is available to me that I could fully embrace. What do you think draws society to reality TV? <laughs> I mean, didn't it start because writers went on strike? <laughs> <laughs> so, That's yeah, amazing, I mean, especially in light of everything going on yeah. right now. Like, <laughs> um, I, you know, the, that idea, I mean, people, I think in the book world too, there's been such a burst of, of memoir and that people seem to really want to know like what is you like what is the truth about you and your feelings and um I mean there is something so compelling about that even mm-hmm. me as a reader even a fiction writer and someone who I read a pretty wide variety of things like if I know something is true there's something there's like a tingle there mm-hmm. um you know, is it just like gossipy nature? Is it just that we're just curious, maybe? And I mean, the interesting thing about reality TV is that it's not reality. It's like scripted as well. And it's, it's shaped and, um, but there's something just weird and compelling about watching these kind of non-actors stiffly go through this. (laughs) 
sometimes I wonder if what's so compelling about it is the fact that it doesn't really bring out the best in us. And yeah. there's something perverse to that maybe too, but like it feels really good to tap into that that place in us that maybe we spend, we're told or we believe that we're supposed to subdue um, for most of our life. And, you know, I believe in goodness and morality, of course, and I want people to be kind and fair, but sometimes I think there's like a perverse quality where the draw is you get to be kind of shitty. <laughs> right, right, right. And the people are chosen. And also, I mean, sometimes I look at my two-year-old and she's just like, she's just fully present and embodying each of mm. her feelings. So, and like, if she's feeling something, she expresses it. And it's so amazing to see that as an adult, like it is almost healing to like be part of it and to witness it and to embrace it. So there is something when you watch reality TV, like a lot of them are adults who are just like fully unselfconsciously expressing these like big emotions, like operatic emotions. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're right. I think that there's something just like, uh, exciting about that I guess when you when you're when you're holding things back because mm -hmm. most of us are probably holding things back um in one passage you have Amber meditating about her relationship with Kevin what if she made this her mission to be here to love this person to recognize that she doesn't yet know him and will never discover everything about him a human being is a mystery as dark and expanding as the universe I love this passage and it holds so much truth to me. But why do you think it is that despite this reality, people like Amber included are so desperate for more discovery outside of their relationships where there's clearly always more to discover? Yeah, I mean, I think it's partly that the possibility exists that we live in a world and in a system that allows us to like, you know, romantically at least it's actually super easy to just go meet someone new now, you know, yeah, you can just mm -hmm. like sign up for a dating app and boom, you're mm -hmm. out there. And there's like that, that excitement of novelty. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think there's also another moment in the book where like, she talks about how her, her female friends are always telling her to do better. She can do better than mm -hmm. Kevin. Um, and she's like, that's what everyone's supposed to do. You're supposed to do better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that maybe there's that, that sense a lot, especially when people are young, like, you know, that you're supposed to go out there and find what you deserve and, and really like, you know, there's a kind of maybe a sense that there's perfection out there or mm -hmm. something, um, mm -hmm. which is another kind of, of, of like a, almost of like avoiding the real relationship that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, if Jeff Task is a caricature of, cont of a contemporary megalomaniac, does Kevin sort of represent the evolution of an apathetic and sort of disaffected patriarchy? He, he lets Amber down mm. mostly by being so immovable by his own grief, which, I, you know, evokes a lot of empathy from the reader. But it also just sort of makes me think of the popular cliche meme that's just like, men, go to therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm like thinking of this sort of cliche, you know? Right. Yeah. That is a really good point. Interesting. Cause I have had readers like get really frustrated with him. Mm -hmm. I felt a lot of like, um, kind of love for him as I was writing it, but I can see that. And there is a kind of, you know, sometimes you do see this cliche in the world where like, yeah, men are kind of floundering and, and mm -hmm. not, not all men, not, we don't mean this at, a, as at the individual level necessarily, but mm -hmm. yeah, this kind of, um, depressed, don't know what your role is. 
Except I guess I feel that Kevin didn't buy into the, like, I don't think Kevin is feeling like, oh, what I was meant to do was like be a big man in my relationship with a little woman and have, you know, a working man job. (laughs) I don't think he ever really bought into that um, kind of, you know, that kind of like a white male ideal that has been kind of pulled away over the past decades. Mm -hmm. Um, is this a book about grief, especially considering the ending and without spoiling it for listeners? Yeah, I think it is. And I didn't know that when I was writing it. Um, it was like a friend of mine read it and she said, you know, that's what this book is about for me. It's about grief. And, And I knew we were talking about, you know, I know Kevin's mom died and he is struggling to actually allow himself to feel that grief. What I think Kevin really needs to do is actually face those emotions, feel them, let them like move through him so that he can like step into real life, I guess. And um, it goes back, I've used this word so many times, but that word avoidant, like if you're um, avoiding your own feelings, then you're not fully alive. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I really saw it as as talking about his grief, but then of course there's like the the grief that Amber feels at the end, there's the grief that, you know, the characters are all feeling. I think it's kind of grief for a, a world that is suffering and we're seeing so much, um, you know, environmental, I don't want to use the word collapse. I don't know what I want to, you right, know, that's just for lack of but, a better word. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's like real huge grief about, about that. And then I also think there's the grief and regret because, um, and and confusion of like what what should I have been doing what 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 could I have done what should I be doing now I think Amber's feeling a lot of that which is really mm-hmm. close to grief. So that is the discovery of confession for you. If you didn't realize that this book was about grief, and after the fact, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting writing books because they like they take years, and you don't kind of exactly know what you're writing about, and then when it's done, you're like, oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, like being a writer, because in my normal life, I'm a pretty like cheerful, smiley person. Mm-hmm. But then, mm-hmm. you know, the like the, you have to have a place to put the other stuff. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, your biography says you worked as a bookseller for Monroe's Books in Victoria. I did the same here in Montreal. Um, do you ever find people's tastes puzzling? And I guess a secondary question, did their reading ever inform your writing? Um, I was actually really worried about (laughs) launching this book because I was worried about the, I was like, how are they going to, like, the marketing seemed to me, like, if you're marketing this as, like, a little bit sci-fi, then the Mm -hmm. sci-fi people are going to be like, this is not true Mm -hmm. sci-fi. I mean, part of the book is set on Mars, but it's not the sort of ordinary sci-fi. And then I was worried, too, that if it, was marketed as a book about reality TV. People will be like, this is so fun. And then they get there and it's kind of like, there's a lot of darkness. Um, so I was, yeah, I guess like I knew that my taste wasn't necessarily the kind of what, what all readers would hope for. (laughs) And you know, it's so interesting because a few people like like a review or two and a blurber they talked about how like what a weird book this is Mm. and I was like oh it's a weird book like (laughs) like I don't think so but I but I guess I was writing like 
for my own taste, you know, like this is the book I really wanted to write and read at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way to go about it. You know, I, I guess when I think about that question, it's just sometimes it doesn't, and it's not, you know, a like negative judgment call. It's just, I don't understand readers' appetites. And so, for instance, we would have uh, regulars who uh, truly loved most of mainstream literature, like really just like top of the most popular sort of chiclet, sort of whatever quality, which is great. I love that. Um, but then those same people would freak out over Otessa Marchweg. And right. I just never really understood like what like what drew them to both genres because and not that you have to be exclusive to one or the other, but it's just something that I always think about. I'm like, and so then it makes me think about what I could write that would be of interest to them because to right. me those are such two different genres and such two different books. You know what I mean? It's it's something interesting, I think, in the bookseller experience, and especially as an added layer for you if you're a writer on top of that. Yeah, it's true. And I did feel kind of, um, like, I wanted to write about the themes that I was most interested mm-hmm. in and about the characters I was most interested in. But I really did. And it wasn't just because I wanted to kind of, like, pander, I guess. Maybe you can relate to this. But, like, I, I wanted to actually write something entertaining, you mm-hmm. know? Like, mm-hmm. I was like... I want people who might not normally read a novel to actually want to read this book and like maybe finish it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and partly, I don't know if it was so much my bookseller experience. Although, you know, I was a bookseller during the Twilight years, mm-hmm. Twilight books. That was really weird. I found that <laughs> like, that was like so incomprehensible because it was people who like don't read at all. And they mm. would come in and they would be like, you know, like middle-aged moms just obsessed with these teenage characters. I was like, that was what, that was probably my most like incomprehensible moment where I was like, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, I don't know if it was my, my, uh, bookseller experience, but like the experience of, um, watching like kind of prestige TV and really Mm. admiring the way that plot was unfolding alongside character development. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, really impressed by that and I actually like to learn how to write this novel I went to screenwriting books because I was like I don't know how to write plots like I'm a short story writer Mm -hmm. I've written a lot of like ellipsis like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know and then some yeah so anyways that 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 probably I don't again it wasn't like a pandering thing it was more like an admiration thing I was like these people know how to do like western narrative and I don't so I better go learn um, the book description description says uh, speaks of the book as an exploration of humanity's deepest longing, greatest quest, and most enduring cliche: love. What's so cliche about love? <laughs> I guess you know when I was thinking about um, the book as as a sort of love story, and you know, like speaking as being a bookseller, one of the questions I got asked in my interview was like, what would you recommend to someone who's looking for a love story? So I do think, you know, as I don't know if it's human or if it's our culture or whatever, but we do, we really love those, those stories of like people finding each other and finding the right person. And uh, there's a lot of mention of like romantic comedies in the, in the book. And what is cliche about love? I mean, it's a cliche, I guess, but it's actually just like, it, like, again, like I was saying, I think attachment is what we're here on this planet really to do. I think we're just actually, it's, it's 
it sounds cliche, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I think that we actually are here to love each other, not just in romantic ways, but like in all sorts of ways as friends and as parents and as daughters and sons and, you know, all sorts of, you know, various iterations of human relationship. Um, Kevin early in the book says, is that why people fall in love? Because they want to absorb the other's qualities. I guess, do you think that's true is too diminutive of a question, but if you could say more there, it, it really interested me that, that line. I feel like that, um, yeah, there's, I, there's always a kind of push and pull, I think, between people when they're falling in love or when they are in love or when they're together is this kind of like, um, you know, like, who am I, who are you? And, and you're influencing each other so much, I think, but at the same time, you want to maintain your own self. Um, so I kind of, I guess I've kind of seen that in my own life where, you know, sometimes like my, my partner is just so different from me, but I know that that difference is so helpful to me. Mm. And like, I probably won't absorb his like calm <laughs> during the storm kind of vibe, but, but to have him there being calm is so essential to me. So I think I probably on some level, like when I met him, I wonder if I just thought to myself like, Oh yeah, that like, like if I could, if I could muster some of that, (laughs) my life would be improved. I think that's so tender and beautiful. And, um, I was sort of mad at myself because I had such a cynical reading of it initially, even though I can see all of that for sure. But I was sort of like, wow, it's true. Is love like this greedy? Is love greedy? Mm. Is it, you know, you think it's this beautiful, like I want to, you know, I cherish you and all this, but it's, is it also kind of just like, I want a part of you sort of greedy, but you've totally shifted that. It it can be a way of want, but in a sort of admiration and um, in generous way, it's not greedy necessarily. Right. Yeah. Or maybe it can be both, Mm -hmm. you know, at different Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. They kind of, Love that interpretation of yours, too. <laughs> um, uh, another meditation by uh, another Kevin meditation, but this time about his casual affair with Bronwyn. Um, there's also something relaxing about being with someone who's always trying to get away instead of trying to get close. This one puzzled me a bit. Could you say more here? Yeah, and I think so. I mean, I wrote this book like after doing some intensive therapy and kind of figuring out my own attachment patterns. And, and I do think Kevin is kind of a really typical, like avoidant attachment kind Mm -hmm. of guy. And, um, you know, I think that there, I think the kind of darker side of that is like, he doesn't really want to be known and he doesn't want to be too attached. And so the, the relationship with Bron or with um, Amber worked really well for him because she was always trying to get away from him. So, so he could kind of, um, be like, he could kind of avoid the vulnerability that he's, he, that Bronwyn is, keeps demanding of him. She keeps wanting to, like, for him to talk about his feelings and, like, be present with her. And uh, he is, you know, has spent over a decade really trying to avoid that kind of closeness. And then on the other hand, I think that there's, you know, like I said, like, there, I, like, I have experienced all this in relationships myself. I also think that there's a kind of, like, respectful privacy that you can give to your partner too Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. you actually like you can't 
get so close to them that you're like inside them and know everything about them. And mm-hmm. my partner often like sometimes I feel like like I'm a bit of an amber, but sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a Bronwyn. And my partner says like, please stop asking me how I feel. <laughs> so I, I think you know like you you kind of need a bit of a bit of distance and intimacy at the same time. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Sometimes I feel like that whole experience is gendered. I mean, I sometimes say sometimes I think everything's gendered. Right. I am not, not even consciously. I just end up thinking about it. But it does feel that way so often, you know, as as a cis straight woman it, who's been in relationships with, you know, men, it's it's sort of <laughs> that sort of resurfaces a lot of the time. Um, that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you working in another book? Will, will it also explore monogamy in this way? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not like working, um, in a super focused way on a book. I'm like taking notes and that's about it. I just don't have much time. We have, um, like for a whole variety of reasons, we decided to keep our daughter home with us for a bit longer before putting her in daycare. So we are just like, we're just like struggling to complete our day jobs kind of mm-hmm. kind of a vibe in this house and you know I'm trying to embrace it as like you know I'm they just let it having a time where I'm just like sort of formulating ideas and I've never had this before and usually when I publish a book I'm really desperate to have a new project going so that I don't feel this that kind of grief and mourning and fear that I was kind of mentioning at the beginning mm-hmm. of like what am I going to do next and I miss my characters and stuff but it's just not in the cards right now. I don't know if it would explore monogamy. I don't, so far, no. I feel kind of like, um, you know, you never know. Some people have like a, a theme that comes a up theme, again and, again. and you don't have to, like by any means. But if you were working on something else, if you were curious about something else, I was sort of wondering what it might be. And, you know, it might be something related to parenting. It might have nothing to do with your real life. That's the way that fiction yeah. works. But I do sort of like to ask that question. Yeah, I think it's probably, I mean, I just have found like, you know, becoming a parent has been so um, transformative and I've learned so much about myself, but also just about the the kind of culture that we live in. So Mm -hmm. I think that's probably what I'm most interested in writing about. Great. Well, that's everything. Thank you so much, um, listeners. You can go ahead and pick up a copy of Girlfriend on, Bar- uh, Girlfriend on Mars at your local... Girlfriend on Bars. I'd read that too. Uh, <laughs> Girlfriend on Mars at your local indie bookseller. Thank you so much, Deborah. This is great. Thank you. Thank you.